If, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Psalm 134, Psalm 134. So uh, this morning, uh, we are going to be continuing and actually concluding uh, the sermon series that uh, I started at the beginning of the year on the Songs of Ascents. And, and um, we've, we've spent uh, 15 weeks in this, it's 15 of these Psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. Uh, the only break we took in looking at these Psalms since the beginning of the year is when we, we took a couple of weeks for, for Easter. And so we're bringing this to an end today, and I'm, I'm somewhat sad about it. I've been blessed in the preparation of and blessed in the preaching of this particular series, and I, I hope you have as well. Uh, this morning we're wrapping up uh, with a very short psalm, um, which we'll see if it's a short sermon, but <laughs> maybe, we'll see, maybe not. I have no idea, honestly. Um, but I think this is a very helpful psalm in wrapping up these, these songs. And if you remember, especially certainly for, for those of you who are visiting with us, this is your first time here, just to, to catch you up to where all the rest of us are. These, these songs, which are a collection of these 15 psalms, they were, they were actually brought together and used by Israel most likely in their pilgrim journeys to Mount Zion, to Jerusalem, to worship the Lord in the, the Holy Temple. And so all of these psalms, in a sense, have this, this idea of, of preparing us or sort of going up, ascending to Jerusalem, what you would do. And, and for us, we've used them to really draw closer to the Lord. And it would make sense that the final one of these psalms would sort of tap us off with talking about worship, which is what this psalm is about. And so follow along with me as I read, and then we'll dig into it a little bit. Verse 1, a song of ascent. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. And this is God's word. May the Lord bless uh, the reading and the preaching and, of course, the hearing of his word this morning. So this is the story told of this boy. And on the Lord's Day, on a Sunday morning, he went to church with his parents. And that evening, uh, when he was, was praying to God about the day, he, he said this. He said, um, dear God, we had a really, really good time in church today. And then he added this comment at the end, but I wish you were there. <laughs> it, it's, you know, sort of out of, the, out of the mouth of babes kind of comment, right? A really good time at worship, in church, but I wish you were there. Now, what this, this boy was expressing, I think, is a genuine concern that this particular psalm answers. And the concern is this, what is it that makes worship worship? That's, that's really the issue. What is it that makes worship worship? Is it just simply that we, we gather together as a body of people on a Sunday morning? Is it that we go through a, a prescribed list of elements, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I'll come back to you and talk about that more in a moment. But is it just that, that we go through certain elements of worship in together on a Sunday morning. Is that it in and of itself? I want to remind you of something that God said to his people Israel. And, and this is a, it's a, it's a challenging, uh, difficult, hard passage to hear. But I want all of us to hear this this morning. This is through the prophet Amos. And God's speaking to Israel through Amos. And he says this in Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 23. He says, I, I hate 
I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. Now, you know what all of those things are in Amos? They are all things prescribed by God. All of them, right? And God basically says to them, I don't want anything to do with that. Not one thing to do with that. Why? Because his people at this point had nothing really to do with him. They weren't about him. Now, I think this is absolutely critical as we begin to think about worship. You know, this psalm, Psalm 134, is a psalm about it. They're in the temple. They're worshiping God. And, and even though this psalm is short, and in fact, it is the shortest of all the psalms of ascent. In fact, it's shorter than the one you got last week, right? Um, it's actually the second shortest psalm in the whole Psalter. That just shows you how short it is. Only Psalm 117 is shorter than this. But it's powerful. And it serves as a climax to all of this movement to worship. And what it helps us to, to remember is this, that, that all of this ultimately is about him, and it has to be. Uh, one writer calls this the amen of all the collection of these psalms, right? And the controlling word in it is the word bless. You see it three times. You see it in verse 1, verse 2, and verse 3. And as we look at it, I think what we're going to see is two things about worship that I want you to understand and hopefully be able to walk with and be able to incorporate in your own life and worship of God. And so what are these two things? The first is this, that worship must bless God. It must bless God. And the second, and I would see this as a consequence of the first, then it will bless us, okay? But you got to get the order right. And you have to understand what this is about. Worship must bless God. It must. And without it, there's really nothing for us here, okay? So we start out with this idea. The first thing that we see here is this idea that worship must bless God. And so note again the first two verses of the, of the psalm. This is where it deals with that, where it says, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by, by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Now, what you'll see here is twice in this, this part of this psalm, twice it speaks of blessing the Lord. You see it at the beginning of verse 1. You see it at the end of verse 2. Bless the Lord. And so this is, this is how we are directed, to bless the Lord. So what does that mean? What does it mean to bless the Lord? Well, the word bless is an interesting word, and it, it, it encompasses this idea of kneeling down or kneeling beside. And when it's, when it's directed towards God, then therefore this kneeling down has this idea of humbling ourselves, of submitting ourselves, and ultimately revering and exalting him. So that what blessing him means is this. It is to gratefully acknowledge all that he is and all that he has done. It is to respond to all of the excellencies of God in life and in worship accordingly. That's what it means to bless him. Now, we look at the, the psalm specifically and closely, you see that this is referencing priests. So when it says in verse 1 again, the servants of the Lord 
who stand by night in the house of the Lord. That's a, it's a reference specifically to priests or to the Levitical line, that they would be the ones who in day and night would stand in the temple. But that then leads us to an important question. What application does this psalm then have to us? If it was for priests in the Old Testament, what about us today? Is it applicable to any of us today? And I would say yes, and that doesn't mean it's just applicable to me as a minister of the gospel. It's applicable to all of us, and here's how I know that. If you remember what is now ours as a result of believing in Jesus and how we are described, in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 5, Peter says that we are to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, what Peter is describing there is what the reformers would later go on to talk about, which is the priesthood of all believers. When they were pushing against what the Catholic Church had done in dividing the priesthood and the laity, they brought back. They didn't invent this. They didn't invent the priesthood of all believers. They reclaimed what the Bible actually taught, that in Jesus Christ, we are all priests. We're all servants of God. And we all have access to God through his son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, when you think about that and then think about this psalm, it is immediately, therefore, relevant and applicable to us. What are we called to do? To bless the Lord. Notice verse 1 again. He says, come, bless the Lord. Now, in one regard, you can look at that as a, as a call to worship. In fact, this psalm offers us both a call to worship and a benediction. Both of those things. The first two verses of the call to worship, the benediction is the third verse. It's the blessing of God upon us. So he starts out with this call, come, which is a word that means to behold or to look closely. It, it is to draw our attention in. What is a call to worship? It is something that, that, that commands and invites us to do what? To worship him and no one else. Now, when you think about that, that call to worship him, come bless the Lord. And that leads us to something that I think is, it's, it's obvious, but it's not to a lot of people, it's not to a lot of ministers, and it's not to a lot of churches. And what is that? That worship is all about God and not us. It's about blessing him and exalting him. Worship is not about what we feel. Self-esteem, self-help, a therapy session, entertainment. It's not about any of those things. We're gathered here to worship him for one reason, and that is to acknowledge him for who he is. Now, you know this. Some of you come from churches like this where there's this sense in which worship is being sort of devolved into something altogether different than that, right? And we see it all the time. We see it in churches around us that this is happening. Why? Why? I know some of you know the name James Montgomery Boyce. He was a, a Presbyterian minister. He's with the Lord now. He was pastor of a church uh, in our denomination, actually, called 10th Presbyterian Church. And he died almost 25 years ago. So back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, he was, he was talking about some of these things that were happening even in the church then. And, and what he said was the, the, the reason why we're seeing so much of this sort of man-centered focus, almost a, 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 a turning worship into an entertainment production, is for three reasons he described. 
He says that the world, and so he critiqued the society around us, and then he said the church is being affected by this in the same way. That we have become, and here's what he said, we have become trivial, which means nothing is really important anymore. Self-centered, which means we are ultimately just focusing on ourselves, which is so true and so right. I mean, this is one of the things that, if you think about it, it's a result of the fall. I don't know what we're doing here. I'll try to keep it from stopping. Is that good? <laughs> Self-centeredness is a result of the fall. But here's one of the things that we're seeing in our world today. And this is why I think we're witnessing some of the things we're witnessing today. Is that all, we were always been self-centered since the fall, right? But there's always been these acceptable authorities that countered our self-centeredness, right? There are always these things that said, no, 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 this is the way. We don't hold to that anymore. All authority and all authority structures are being dismissed in the world that we live in today. And so there's a, there's a sense in which life is all about me. This is why the way people think about reality is constructing their own reality. This is how people live now. They construct their own reality. So here's the reality of what we are facing in the church even. People are trivial. People are self-centered. And therefore, people are, and this is the third thing James Montgomery Boyce said, people are oblivious to God. Oblivious to God. One of my professors, when I was in seminary, I went to two seminaries. One was Gordon-Conwell Seminary, where Greg also went. Did you have David Wells when you were there? David Wells is a theologian of some significance and some note. Wrote about culture a lot. And in the 80s and 90s, he wrote about what was happening to the evangelical church. And one of the things he clearly said is this, and we see it manifest all the time today, that the evangelical church has lost the weightiness of God. That God is no longer weighty over us. That he no longer really matters to us. Now I want to tell you something. And this is what happened with Israel. If God doesn't really matter, I don't care whether we get the prescribed elements right. Now we should. In fact, I think we must because God is the one who instructs us as to how we are worship, to worship. But you can have those elements and God is small and insignificant to you. And that means even if you are going through those elements, if God isn't weighty to you, you are not actually worshiping him. We are here for one reason and it is to bless his name. And the psalm, it's interesting when you look at this psalm, because not only is the word bless, you see it verse 1, verse 2, and verse 3, but there's another word you see here that's prominent, and it is the word Lord. It's capital L, capital R, O, capital R, capital D. And I've told you this in the course of the sermon series, that whenever you see that, you're seeing the covenant name of God. You're seeing Yahweh, the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the God who bound himself in the covenant with his people and remained faithful to his people. And here's what this psalm says. I'm going to just take a few words out of the first two verses. And here's what the psalm says. And listen to the emphasis. Come, bless the Lord, you servants of the Lord, and the house of the Lord. Bless the Lord. That's what this psalm is saying. Right? That's what you're here for. Right? And the truth of the matter is, that none of us 
can bless him to the utmost of his greatness. Throughout an eternity of worship, we will not exhaust his greatness. But what we can do and are commanded to do is to bless him to the utmost of our abilities. Everything you are, you come here to bless him, to bless him. Now, is that true? Let's, let's bring it down to where we are. Is that true for you? When you walk in the doors of the church, are you here? This thing is driving me crazy, and it probably is everybody else. The evil one is probably not wanting me to say this. That's why he's trying to... <laughs> So you can hear every other word. <laughs> you guys getting me on this message? Yeah, you follow me? All right. He didn't want you to know. The evil one doesn't want you to know this. God does, right? So God's going to make this work. <laughs> are you here for him? Right? Because that, that's the key. Because when you are here for him, and this is the, this is the turn of the message, it, it's when you're here for him, that actually is the source of blessing, Right? That's it. And that leads to the second thing, that we worship must, must be about him. We must bless God. But when we do, worship will bless us. Okay? And so if you notice in verse 3, look at the way the passage shifts because it goes on to say, may the Lord bless you. That's the turn, right? So we bless him and he says, may the Lord bless you from Zion, who, he who made heaven and earth. So the first part of it, may the Lord bless you. So note it's the same word throughout, isn't it? It's, it's come bless the Lord, right? Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And then it is, may the Lord bless you. Same word. The same word in the ESV, which is the version I'm reading, because it's the same Hebrew word. But how can it actually be the same, Right? And this is where I think we have to think about this word bless a little bit. And probably for most of us, we use that word, except when we sing a song like bless the Lord, like we did earlier, we kind of use the word bless in terms of what God does for us. We don't typically think of it in this direction, do we? But the scripture does. The, the Hebrew word, let's go back to what I said at the, at the early part of the sermon, when I was talking about it, the word kind of means this idea of kneeling down, or it can mean kneeling beside. It can mean that, either one of those things, Okay. So there's a sense in which bless means to kneel beside. Now for us, in the direction this way towards God, it's, it's kneeling down in humility. It's kneeling down in submission, right? As we exalt and revere him. But what does it mean that God kneels down beside us? I think it has to do with this idea of God condescending. Do you understand that? This is something we understand about the incarnation. The incarnation is God taking on flesh. It's God condescending and coming into our midst. And so this notion of God blessing us, it means that God comes down beside us. He kneels beside us. He, 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 he condescends to us not to worship us, but to meet our needs, to bless us. So Derek Kidner is an Old Testament scholar, and this is the way he described it. He said the exchange is quite unequal. He says to bless God is to acknowledge gratefully what he is, but to bless man, God must make of him what he is not and give him what he has not. 
right? There's another biblical expositor who talks about this. His name is J. Alec Mortier. He puts it this way. He says, when he blesses us, he reviews our needs and meets them. When we bless him, we review his excellencies and worship him. See? So that what worship is to be all about is what? It's all about us being here reviewing, rehearsing all of his excellencies and worshiping him for those things. The NIV translates that as praise in its version of this. When he blesses us, he comes in all of our weakness and all of our brokenness and all of our struggles and he gives us what we don't have. Now what this means is, therefore, that when we talk about the blessing of worship, guess what the first blessing of worship actually is? The privilege and the ability to worship. That's actually the first blessing of worship. That we cannot do this without him. That we cannot honor him without him. In fact, if you notice the text again, the first part of verse 3, may the Lord bless you. Notice it says from Zion. Do you see that language? From Zion. Now Zion is the description of a very specific place, right? And it's a very specific place, where it was a very known place where God would meet with his people. Which means that the idea of blessing, it doesn't just come from, I mean for worship or blessing God, it doesn't just come from us or pop out of us like it's already in us. It is not. You know what's in you? Self-centered worship. You know what's in you? Idolatrous worship. Unless God works, there is no true glorious worship before him. And so this idea of God blessing us from Zion, let's think about how that applies to us. From Zion, this very specific place of God's presence. A couple of weeks ago I talked about this, and this, it's, it's the, the, the relevance and fulfillment of these Zion passages in the New Testament, and one in specific, specifically being in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews 12, verses 22 through 24, listen to what it says. But you have come to Mount Zion. All right. Go back to verse 3. May the Lord bless you from Zion. You have come to Mount Zion. This is believers. To the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. To innumerable angels in festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is that saying to us? When we come to Mount Zion, we are coming to God and to his son Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to his shed blood for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God and given new hearts that for the first time worship him, his spirit, and his word.
worship unless God blesses you to do so. And when he does, hallelujah, because for the first time, you actually have what you need. Okay? You have what you need. Now, when your gaze is really turned towards him, then here's the wondrous thing about worship and something we so often shortchange because we make it about ourselves is that when it really is about him, this is when worship becomes what we call in our tradition a means of God's grace by which he pours his grace into our lives and he blesses us. And this is thing that's something that's interesting about the last part of this because this is the benediction, the blessing part. Verse 3 where he says, may the Lord bless you from Zion. So the Lord is the covenant name, Yahweh, the God who redeems and is faithful to his people. And then it ends by saying, he who made heaven and earth. So he's the redeeming God, the covenant God who is the creator of all things. That's the point of this, which means that the God who promises to bless you has all the power in the world to do so because he created everything. So when you turn your gaze upon him and you make these moments about him, and here's what's going to begin to happen. He's going to meet you and edify you and strengthen you and encourage you and give you joy and give you peace and give you hope. And give you strength. And give you comfort. And, okay, the challenge so much of man-centered worship, he's also going to do this thing that blesses. He's going to challenge you. And convict you. And at times, even in worship, cause you some pain. Because my brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes our legs need to be knocked out from under us before he lifts us up to glory. And that is why we're here. And what I pray for all of us, I pray this for myself, I pray this for our elders, I pray this for you, that this will be and long to be, no matter what is going on around us, no matter what may be attracting the multitude of the crowds, that this would be a church whose purpose is to bless his holy name. Because in that and in that alone are we blessed. Amen? Let's pray.